we don't change that much fundamentally at our core. So understanding who we are and what drives us physically and emotionally, these are fundamentals and things that can relate to universally anybody. This is a really all started to make sense as to why people are embracing this as a regular read or a frequent read as opposed to read it once and it goes on the shelf. It doesn't seem to be that type of book for a lot of people. This is my third time reading it and this is our third episode, third hour on the one book. Like, and it's, we're, it's different things each time. And you know, we evolve, our understanding of it evolves too. Atomic Habits Part Three. Hello and welcome to Fresh Book Reports, a mini-series brought to you by Accounting High, where we discuss books and topics that bridge the gap between mental, physical, and emotional health for you, the modern accounting professional, with your hosts, Scott Scarano and Twyla Verhelst. Don't judge a book by its cover. Yep. You can't, you can't deny that a cover on a book draws you in or turns you off. So. Oh, I judge books by their cover in reality, literally and metaphorically in life. You know, like it's, there's a lot to be said about what makes up the cover of something. And if somebody just gets lazy and does a half-ass cover, then the inside is going to be lazy too. It's going to be half-ass ideas. So. I think the cover really says a lot. And we, we did talk about the cover of, of Atomic Habits being very intentional. The color, the fonts, the texture. If you touch the top of it, it has a tactile feeling. And that feeling is the feeling that I get when I read the book too. It feels different than any other book. And I know that was intentional. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Well, and there's, so. there's some science around the paper and the smell of the paper and, and that that can affect your reading and, and what you absorb. So there's, I, I love actually having physical books. I've never gone to a Kindle for that very reason. Cause I like having the mm, paper. Yeah. Yeah. And it's maybe, maybe it's a collector's mindset too. Like I like to see what I've read and the size of it. Like if I'm reading a big book, I don't know how big it is just by here's the percentage that you've gotten through in on the Kindle. And I have read Kindle books. I have listened to books. It's anyway, I could consume it whatever's most convenient, but I much appreciate like a real book in hand and the size of the book, the shape of the book too. Some books are in all rectangles. Some of them are kind of square. Like the one I'm reading now, it's kind of like a little smaller squarish that kind of fit and won't fit in my pocket. But if I had really big pockets or cargo <laughs> pockets, it could definitely fit in my pocket. Yeah. So, so Atomic Habits, we're on the third installment of this. And uh, where do we start, Twyla? Well, I think we're at the spot of the book now where the author does a really good job of capping this off in a way that also recognizes how habits are going going to help you and and hurt you, but in a in a way that's like practical. And so I think that uh, this is where we're at right now, where the piece that that came next in this capping off was around how your genetics matter. And I thought this was really interesting. He talks a lot about athletes and athletes having a certain genetic makeup that makes them a fit for being an Olympian or a world champion. And I I liked reading about that because, you know, there's it's not just showing up each day 
and doing a habit that you thought was the right habit to be doing each day, but instead that there's actually some advantages to doing certain habits or taking on certain habits based off of who you are and and how you will perform well or stay consistent with that habit. Well, you can't do like if you're not built for something and, and he talks about the difference between like a swimmer and a runner, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not built to be a swimmer, then you could work very hard and create your personal best every time. And you could become the best you will ever be in your light years beyond where you started. But then compare yourself to somebody that just jumped in the water for the first time and they're built to be a swimmer and all of a sudden they beat you. Like that's <laughs> a little discouraging, right? But then you go run and you're built to be a runner and you've never run. And all of a sudden you beat somebody that's been working at it their whole life. You know, that's uh, also very encouraging. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that, you know, he, he lays it out in terms of really identifying your personality and where your makeup is going to best su- support you. And I think in previous conversations about the book, I was referring to it as setting yourself up for success. And mm-hmm. that's that's part of setting yourself up for success is identifying who you are and really then leaning into the habits that you are going to do really well and really consistently that will impact your your results. So I thought that was really just enlightening to know that we shouldn't be just saying, here's our habits, everybody should do this templated habits every day. Mm-hmm. Instead, that it's actually getting to know yourself a bit better and seeing which habits will actually be ones that you should go hard into versus others that maybe maybe won't actually be as, as successful for you. Yeah, well, namaste. That's one that I've been working on is meditation. Like th- there's direct correlations to some of the good habits. I'm I'm definitely predisposed to having a very cluttered mind and a lot of things going on at once and stress and and everything else that I'm predisposed to bad habits coming out of that. So there are certain habits that need to stay in line for everything else to kind of work out and feel better. I think my mental state is definitely a big product of keeping these things in line. So, you know, we're we're a couple months into when we started reading this book and then practicing practically speaking, like practicing what the book has said. And I have some noticeable differences in my thought patterns, in my in my life, in my overall well-being, that I can see the other side of it now. I, I could really appreciate that we're doing this because this is a controlling mechanism, as I said. This is accountability and controlling, being able to do this. So let's talk about CBEs, career best efforts. Do you remember that part of the book? That's... Um, mm-hmm. That was great. Just to see that little 1% improvements and all the things that you focus on and the things that you measure are the things that matter and the things that you can improve. You can get some overall improvements, but it's the real little things that have that compound effect over time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of CBEs are kind of like OKRs or KPIs that you're measuring at your firm. And so I was, (laughs) I just saw Carbon's Practice Excellence Report that they did and that direct correlation and direct tie into the CBE, right? Like the things that you measure as your firm and the things that you pay attention to are the things that improve. So if you're focused on growth and you're measuring your inbound leads and and your close rates, all of those things, that's what you can improve on. 
I'm trying to think of all the things that they were talking about on the practice excellence report and comparing different aspects of the firm. And you got to have a, a balanced approach and make sure everything's sort of all being tracked. So that's that's kind of what we talked about at Accounting Salon the last couple of weeks too, was measuring different aspects of the firm and continuing to get those incremental improvements over time. That's what really matters. And that's what is really going to move the needle is having a balanced effort and incrementally improving things over time and not trying to tackle it all at once and take these giant steps, but instead these small micro improvements over time. Yeah, love that. And I think that it's that that idea of where your attention goes that well, I think the the cliche line is where your attention goes and or where your energy flows, attention goes or whatever. But it's still like just bringing it to awareness. But I think there is one other thing that I just don't even, even want to pull it back for a yep. moment in terms of OKRs and, and measuring results. One thing that I really loved that I picked up on here because I'm very focused myself this year on on being intentional and being on purpose. And I think that this applies now to firms that are coming out the other side of the last few years where they're saying, I need to make some changes, I need to do something different. And when James Clear talks about, if we go back to habits, <laughs> if, we, if we talk yep. about the habits, he talks about how you should figure out which habits you're gonna be most successful at. Uh, one that really caught my attention was that he, he challenges the readers with questions. And this question is, what feels like fun to me, but work to others? That that's, if there's something that feels like fun to you, but work to others, that that can be something that you should lean into. And also that, that you can't win, when you can't win by being better, you can win by being different. And so when you talk about the OKRs, this popped into my mind as something that he'd wrote about, because sometimes with OKRs or different metrics, again, we go back to like, okay, well, what are the metrics in your firm, Scott? Now, this is the metrics that I should have in my firm, and I should be following what you have. But that's not always true. And it's something that I think we often play into in this profession of, here's the template that somebody else is doing, and now I'm striving for that. But it, your firms could look very different, which means your metrics could also look different. And so I think it's a matter of recognizing what you should do and be intentional with, with how your firm shows up and what services and clients, et cetera. Then find the metrics that you're going to monitor and, and identify where you're doing well or maybe there's room for improvement and then stacking those habits to, to get you to those results. So I kind of, when I think about it big picture from a firm standpoint, I just want to make sure that I share that, you know, I'm trying to, to support people and not just doing what others do, but rather doing what you should do, be really intentional about what your firm should be looking at or how it should be showing up or who it should be serving. Scott Adams of Dilbert, there was this win by being different. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of books that we could, we could probably touch on eventually. And I just wanted to call the shout out to Dilbert because I made Zachary's <laughs> um, picture on the podcast like Dilbert. So... I think Scott Adams might appreciate that or he might get upset because <laughs> of the copyright <laughs> stuff, but I doubt it. Like these days, you know, everything's a mash or a, a mixture of, of all different influences too. So I think that's a, that was a big shout out because Scott Adams has written a lot of good books, but win by being different. And there's another new, new book from Mike McCallowitz that is think differently and you know lean into who you are and be authentic to you and whatever your definition is of success 
and continue to embody that because the people that you surround yourself with are going to agree undoubtedly because they already work with and follow you as a, you know, as a leader when it comes to running a firm. So there are certain core metrics of success, like profitability and different things, but it's not always, you know, when you look at the nuance and look at the details, it's not always going to be the same thing that matter to you that matters to others. So care about your clients, care about everybody's, you know, the universal principles of business. But then when it comes to what you're measuring, whatever matters, measure what matters and improve on that, whatever it is, even if you're doing by far better than everybody else, you could do better than you too. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's chat about how, how he talks about how to stay motivated. Cause I found this one really interesting, not just for myself, but also thinking about being a leader of a team. He calls it the Goldilocks rule. Just manageable, difficult. It's like 231, right? Around there. Yep. Yeah. So, and achieving peak desire while you're doing that. So I love the Goldilocks because I just brought up Goldilocks the other day with my kids, how everybody has their own just perfect for them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and basically he summarizes it as just humans in general. Now I believe that there's differences inside of that, but he summarizes it as humans in general experience peak motivation when they're right on that cusp, when it's that cusp of their current abilities. So not too easy and not too hard, but on that cusp. And I think he actually puts a number to it. uh, If flip over a couple of pages of 4%. Uh, beyond your current ability. He admits that 4% is pretty challenging to measure <laughs> with respect to your abilities. But that to me is interesting too, of what it what does it take to actually keep yourself motivated? And I've never really heard it described this way, that there is a reason to be sitting on that cusp or that edge of comfort or that edge of ability, because that actually is what keeps us engaged. Or in my case, where I'm trying to apply it to my team, keeps the team engaged. I have one team member who has does very repetitive tasks and she's only four months into the seat, uh, actually closer to five months into the seat. And she's already feeling like this is a little bit, I know I can see how it's contributing to the team at large, but I'm not feeling very challenged. So I'm really mm. being mindful of like keeping some projects for her or some work for her that is outside of her ability so that it's, it's, it's pushing her and not going to get her in a spot of, well, this is boring and I'm not really motivated and not getting lit up to do this work. Yeah, that flow state is is hypnotic sometimes and it's something that you chase. Getting to that zone that he calls it the Goldilocks zone, right? Getting into flow state is that <laughs> perfect medium of pushing yourself, of getting fulfillment out of what you're doing and of getting better too and and sort of feeling that but also just losing concept of time like we talk a lot about time in the profession we talk about tracking and all of that sometimes you want to just keep going and that's when you're in flow that's when you're you know and i know that that accountants have experienced this just when doing tax returns sometimes where they're just in the zone they say i'm in the zone and and i fit i've knocked out 10 returns because i'm just like you know, and I've, I've experienced this, like doing bookkeeping or write-up work. Like I was just, you know, I was learning a lot about the business and I'm, and I'm doing it and I'm just like sort of in the zone. And all of a sudden I look up at the clock and it's 7 PM. Like I missed dinner, you know? (laughs) So that delicate balance, right. But I live in the extremes in one or the other. 
So trying to get there, even though I don't like it, trying to find that healthy amount. If I overexert myself and do things that are too difficult, then I get discouraged. So finding that healthy point. That's of, probably um, something beyond the 4%, right? That yeah. essentially it, those things that are too hard, that that's discouraging because it feels overwhelming or too challenging and it's hard to stick with. And then the opposite being that we get bored because it's too easy and that that boredom is actually what impacts our self-improvement or even our ability to stick to a task. So I think, I think again, this comes back to awareness of like, where, where does your flow state sit and how do you get into that? When do you recognize that it's gone? You're outside of it and, and why you're outside of it? Are you outside of it because this is beyond my abilities by greater than 4% or am I not feeling that flow because this feels like everything I do every other day and it doesn't feel exciting or challenging anymore? Yeah. And then see what you can do to tweak it to get it back into that really the Goldilocks uh, rule or the Goldilocks zone that, that the author describes. The variable rewards. I think of that when I think of my sparkling water, actually. So continuing elements of surprise is how I, what I've used to describe why I like sparkling water over regular <laughs> water. Because every time I open up a bottle, it's, I'm not quite sure how much carbonation it's going to have. It could be a little flat. It's just the variability of bubbles. There's, you never know. I, I think it's like snowflake. Every time I take a sip, there could be a n different number of bubbles in there. Um, but it keeps me drinking it. And I don't, I don't even drink anything else besides water these days. So I don't know. That's a habit. That's a good <laughs> habit that I want to keep. And I think it's because of that variable reward. So. I've never thought of sparkling water as having a variable reward. You should, when you're talking about wanting to reach out to the author, you should give them that example instead of, or, or alongside of, he talks about gambling and how gambling Ah, well, gambling definitely does. <laughs> that gives a variable reward too. I can... Lots of times you lose, but the odd time you win and that keeps people enticed or yeah. uh, keeps them committed to it. Your well, sparkling I, water example is much healthier and maybe. much less costly than Sometimes gambling. you lose, though. When it's flat, it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, nothing's worse than flat sparkling water because it's got a little bit of the flavor in there, but it just tastes like bad water. It um, does. Yeah, it's so, the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Warm sparkling water, not so good either. So I always like it cold. Yeah, they uh, just the ways to avoid boredom, though, too, right? Like doing something over and over again does get kind of bored. So when I meditate, what I do is I, I have this on a, on Apple Music, I'm sure Spotify has it too, where I've got a guiding meditation, guided meditation playlist. And it's like 70 or 80 different meditations in there. So every time I do it, I just hit shuffle. And, and I have an idea of how long I want to meditate, but okay. I just put on the headphones, I hit shuffle, and then I do something that's around that time. So if I'm going to do around 10 minutes, if it's a 12 minute one, I keep it. I want to do 20 minutes. If it's an 18 minute one, I'll keep it, but whatever it is. And I had one of the best meditations yesterday and it was like 18 minutes. I didn't know what to expect, but it kind of took me into a nap and out of a nap. It was like a napitation. I guess. <laughs> it was great. And I didn't know, like, and if I go back and try to do that every day, yeah. it's not going to be the same. It, yeah. There is no surprise element of that because I knew that was what was going to happen. If I know that's going to happen, then I'm going to try to recreate that. That's what happens with drugs too. So somebody gets really high off of something and then they chase that high forever, like the rest mm -hmm. of their life. And that's the, 
That's why drugs are so addictive. That's a bad habit. Gambling, drugs, the vices that he talks about. Like, that's why I want my firm to eventually um, just focus on vices because that's the money makers too. Like mm -hmm. if I do accounting vices, I think that's a, also a name that I've considered. Yeah. You know, we could do um, gambling. We could do cannabis. We could do OnlyFans creators, but we can focus on all the vices. Like we got your accounting vices. We'll account for it. We're not going to judge. You know, I can open up a shop in Salt Lake City and then we can account for all the vices down the road at Vegas, right? <laughs> so. There's lots of vices in Vegas, which is where I'm going to see you next, which is funny. But that is where it is. <laughs> Sin City. Accounting yeah. Vice. I think it'll I'll look I'll make the logo look like Miami Vice, but it'll be Accounting Vice. That's gonna be the name <laughs> of my new firm. Yeah. I hope you wear the white suits. <sighs> That's for Leary. That's the kind of thing he would do. <laughs> you know? That's funny. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about the downside of creating good habits. This is part of his capping off. Um, what were your What are your thoughts on this, especially as somebody who I'm really impressed with the the habits that you've picked up and been really quite consistent with. I know you're beating yourself up a bit about not not getting them every day, but you've been quite consistent with them, and you've even got the the journal and and the log of of your habits. Have you noticed any downside to creating good habits? Downside's always boredom for me. I get bored very easily. And that's mm -hmm. why I try to make the podcast fun because like, if, if not, if I'm bored, then I'm afraid the audience is going to be bored, but I get, I get bored when I'm doing things that are good for me. And I get excited when I'm doing hedonistic things and things that maybe are, are sinful or maybe, you know, just things that are not as healthy. My kids were singing a song called chicken macaroni. I didn't even know. I thought they made it up. And then it, we, I took them to a little carnival. And there was a food truck there that was selling chicken and macaroni in one little bowl. Like, think about a healthy bowl versus that. This is fried chicken with macaroni. Uh. And there was tater tots in there, too. So this was like a heart attack in a bowl. And I was so excited because it was their song. I was like, let's get chicken macaroni. And then I got super excited and I ate some, too. And then I felt bad about it after. So That's funny. Yeah, yeah boredom, boredom definitely for me as well. But It wasn't boring. Yeah, that wasn't boring. Was, yeah. <laughs> Even but listening in, to that's not boring. <laughs> but it wasn't. But it wasn't good habits, right? Like this wasn't the healthy choice. This wasn't a good thing to do. So that's why I. That's the bad thing about good habits is it's boring to always get the poke bowl or the the healthy bowl at the at the healthy place. You know, you got to mix it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So see, it depends how it depends how you look at that because as somebody who doesn't eat some of the things that you might find at the type of venue that you were at. Yeah. It's like the scavenger hunt of being able to find something that I can there actually There was nothing eat. good there. <laughs> there was no scavenger. I, I did the scavenger hunt. <laughs> I, you know what, though? Like, I'll, I'll take that back because the healthy bowls, the thing that keeps me excited about those is I can always put different things. So there's this farmside table place that I go and you can mix it. You know, you start with the base and whatever the base is, it's healthy. But then everything you pick from there afterwards is based on that that's going to go well with that so it's like every time it's a it's a surprise so mm -hmm. i don't know but mm -hmm. um there's a variable reward that you're talking about yeah. there <laughs> so what about you like what are the downsides for the good habits yeah the boredom for me too is a big one and I, this is true for me and he mentions this in the book about kind of going on to autopilot and then you're not as in as mindful or as aware when you've got something on autopilot or on repeat. Mm -hmm. 
So I think it's part of the boredom that you start to become less engaged. And then you're doing the thing just because you said that you would do the thing versus actually picking up on how can I prove this? How can I change it? How could I make it close to that Goldilocks? You know, that that over that 4% of, of my current abilities, if you just have it on this cycle, which then I think can lead to a spot of either it dropping off or just being something that you do, but you've almost lost touch to why you're doing it. I think it's really important to not be doing this in isolation. How do you decide what's too much and what's little? Uh, too little, I think having a personal trainer or having an accountability buddy or having a coach, somebody that could review these for you to keep you from getting bored too, because you may not even know that you're getting bored and you might think you're falling off on the habit for whatever, whatever other reason, or you might be pushing yourself too much, you know, so you might not be hitting that Goldilocks point. So having somebody that could give you that feed, provide better feedback for the feedback loop. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's very important too. And making it automatic. I think I've, I've noticed too, the reason I'm not tracking as much because I'm tracking it in my head or I know it's happening, it's automatic, automaticity. And then getting to the next skill level of whatever it is, I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to increase five push-ups a day to 10 because I know what happened last year. I got up to like 80 a day and then I, and I just stopped. Like, I don't know what happened there, but it was like, I kept increasing it too fast. And, and then I got to the point where I just didn't do it at all. So that's, yeah. uh, there's a fear for fearful, fearfulness. Yeah. There. Yeah. Well, I think that that, that's the, even, you know, thinking about your meditation and where, where people start with different habits that they want to bring into their life, that if it's too daunting or they push themselves over to a spot that now it becomes more of a chore than something that they can manage every day, then that's also the potential for someone to fall off, right? So, and, and the other thing I thought that was interesting is at the beginning, he really talked about how habits can be part of your identity. And then in this chapter near the end, he circles back on being careful not to cling too tight to an identity, mm. which that one got me, me super interested because I historically would have called myself a runner. And I use that with air quotes because it took me a while to actually admit that I was a runner, even though... I ran, I never called myself a runner because I wasn't an elite runner. Mm -hmm. Even though I had very habitual running routines mm -hmm. and training, I would train for things. I would still, I, it was, became part of my life. I like and how you then, said routines and not habits because you said very <laughs> habitual running routines. Running <laughs> habits, but yeah. And so what happened though is in October, actually at a conference, I hurt my back and I haven't been able to run since October. So now my identity that it took me a while to even really grab as my own was lost inside of now I'm not a runner. Mm. So what am I now? And then what are my new exercise habits that I identify with? It became an adjustment versus thinking of, say, a runner as somebody who embraces physical exercise into their daily life in a very repetitive fashion or in a very consistent fashion. So that's different than I get on the treadmill or I put on my shoes and go outside every day or five days a week. When that's taken away, then you kind of lose that identity. But it can, if you don't identify it as a runner, but instead as somebody who gives some of their time each day to physical wellness, 
that's different. And then that's, that's more an adaptable. Athlete, though, too. An athlete can be more universal. If you say you're an athlete, you don't have to be a professional athlete. You can be an athlete and, and runners are athletes. You know, you can do different things that are athletic and maybe they don't involve running. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I call myself a walker and that's easy. You know, I, could, I think I could always walk unless I, I paralyze myself. I'm a, I'm a walker and that's, that sounds lazy, but it's not, you know. I, it's uh, not lazy, but it still it still is an identity you could lose. Like you could break an ankle, for example, and maybe you just lose it for a period of time, mm -hmm. and you can get it back versus being paralyzed. Yeah. Gosh, this is starting to sound dark, but um, nonetheless, well, you could we lose got it. your That's identity. That's a stoic way of thinking right? too, because there's always a way. It's always could be worse than anything. So we're not getting too dark there. There's always a lightness at the end of the tunnel with Nicole in one of our episodes. And she was like rattling off all the things that I identify with, right? It's like a podcaster, now a philosopher. And I think we were just doing P words. That's why I was like <laughs> performer, podcast, well, parent and partner. Uh, partner and uh, yeah. <laughs> so when we were talking about this, one of the things I, I wrote down was like the annual reviews and the integrity report. Like what went well, what didn't go well. We do that in EOS too. Every quarter when we have our quarterly um, pulses and meetings, we go through all of those questions. What went well? What didn't go well? What did we learn? And then we talk in his integrity report, he talks about what core values drive your life. Like those change over time mm -hmm. too. Just because it's a core doesn't mean it can't evolve and grow. And, you know, how are you living and working with integrity right now? And how can I set a higher standard in the future? I think all of those questions are very important to continue to review that, even if it's just in the internal feedback loop. It's never a bad time to start doing that and to start questioning and keeping those same consistent questions over time and looking at how they evolve. If you start doing this now and start doing it even yearly and then go back a few years and see how you answered them, you're going to see how you evolved and how you matured over time too. Or more that. what did you think about that? Well, I think this also showcases why people have told me that they've reread this book mm -hmm. because of the fact that it can be this reset and this check-in and and really sets us up for thinking about what we have been doing and then how we want to get better. And so when I read that page specifically, I, I thought, oh, this is a really all starting to make sense as to why people are embracing this as a regular read or a frequent read as opposed to read it once and it goes on the shelf. It doesn't seem to be that type of book for a lot of people. This is my third time <laughs> reading it. I've said this before, and this is our third episode, third hour on the one book. Like, <laughs> and it's we're, it's different things each time. And you know, we evolve, our understanding of it evolves too. At a baseline, these are fundamentals and things that can relate to universally anybody, even yourself, at different stages in life, too. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit that we don't change that much fundamentally at our core, but we change so much in our mindset and how we approach things. So understanding who we are and what drives us physically and emotionally, that stuff probably isn't going to change that much, but it's just how we react to that and what we do in turn and how we feel about ourselves with all of that too. So that's, that's more of driving that fact of leaning into like kind of how we started this, like leaning into your natural tendencies and your natural 
desires and what you better at as a person as you grow. Yeah. Yeah. Awareness. Awareness. Yeah. And I think the, the two kind of sentiments that he caps off in the conclusion that really stuck out for me, one was it talks about success is not a goal to reach or finish line to cross, which I'm going to admit, I've already started to read the next book that I'm going to read. And this is like such a dovetail into that, where it's not about getting to a finish line. It's about constantly improving and refining. And then then that's the other piece that he caps it off with, is that the secret to getting results that last is to never stop making improvements. And so I just, this is just such a, such a, a, a great way to dovetail into the next book, at least that I'm reading. I know you're reading another book right now, but well, the, the I, one that I I've already reading, started. <laughs> as of today, I'm reading Infinite Game as well. Like, there's a few books that I'll be reading at once, and I kind of just cycle through them um, until I finish them. I was going to save this for the end, but if you flip your book over and you look at the last book that is mentioned, or the last... Mm, mm-hmm. That wasn't intentional. I just saw that by accident. Um, it says ego is the enemy because it's the author that has a quote on the back of this book. That's yeah, no kidding. In itself too. No you kidding. Know. One thing he says at the end of this chapter is a lack of self-awareness is poison. That is so true. So true for me because there's, you know, we always have blind spots. I still have plenty of blind spots in my life that I'm not aware of. And it's poisoning me. But as I find out those things and as the light sh- shone on them, I could become better. Like the Sons of CPAs was a blind spot until, you know, and it's kind of, you know, the light flashes on it for a second. But you pointed the light on it for a little bit and made me think. And now we have Accounting High. It's a birth of something even better. Yeah. <laughs> Not saying Sons of CPAs was poison. That's still going to be a brand nestled in here. That's still going to live on and still be its own thing. But the overarching has got to be, yeah, something, something evolved, something better. Yeah. So. I mean, I think the word poison is, is a pretty harsh word, but nonetheless, it can be viewed as uh, a barrier to growth or uh, a roadblock or a stumbling block. Poison makes it sound like it would stop, <laughs> stop you dead, but I don't think that's always the case. It could be that the awareness means that you don't grow as much or that you don't expand as as broadly, or you don't meet somebody yeah. that you would have met before, right? And so I think, I think the I, again, I'm so I was going to say high on, but uh, I'm so focused on <laughs> such a metaphor for the words. I guy. know. Uh, I'm so focused on and in being intentional and being on purpose, and that that's a lot of the messaging that you'll hear show up from me in other forums and hearing you can be high on that as well. too. You can be high on that too. There's nothing bad about that. I was the other name I was thinking of was above the clouds, uh, or above the cloud because of the metaphor for the cloud computing, but also because I was so high on the airplane, I looked out and I saw I, I was above the clouds. So literally, that was the first name I came up with, or, or beyond the cloud. So I was, you know, our, our, and then Leary said, "I'm not high on accounting." That was a uh, that was his touch on that, and that's where accounting high came from. Yeah, but, uh, I'm loving. I'm loving where it landed. Can't wait to yeah. see it all unfold. It's satisfying, definitely. If you talk about making things satisfying and making um, them obvious, yeah, some of that's pretty obvious, but it's <laughs> it below the surface. So there's a um, there's a really great handful of pages from 260 to 264. These are little lessons from the four laws, and I wrote down a 
bunch of them. I didn't go through them all, uh, yeah. but I love these because these look like sticky notes to me, mm -hmm. where you could write these on sticky notes and have them as things that, that matter to you or that you want to focus on for the week. Which one yeah. caught your attention? So self-control is difficult because it's not satisfying. Mm -hmm. That's basically what I was kind of saying about my hedonistic ways, you know, like self-control is difficult because it may not be satisfying. It's hard to do the things that make you feel good in the long term. So the reward that you get, that long-term reward, it feels so good. Mm -hmm. any, any other ones that jump at you? Yep. There's, there's two in particular. One that I, my team gets tired of me talking about curiosity and it says being curious is better than being smart. I've never heard it said that way, but Ooh, I've, I I'm really trying that. to teach my team to be really curious, like to go a few layers deep into why or how or what this means. And so I, I thought that was a really interesting one that stuck out for me. And the second one that it's something I've told myself before, but he phrases it nicer than I ha have, is your actions reveal how badly you want something. Ooh. So sometimes when I don't stick to something, I've given myself the self-talk of, I guess you don't want it bad enough, Twyla. And so then it kind of gives me an, a moment to be like, but do I want that or am I okay with not having that? It's a decisive moment, and then you convince yourself that it's something that you don't want because it's not satisfying. So there's a there's a healthy balance of questioning the long-term benefits of something versus do you really want to do it? What is a good habit that it turns into a bad one eventually, too? Some people over-exercise or over right. uh, too much of a good thing is a bad thing, too. Yeah, whether that's injury, whether that's now you're not focusing enough on the other things in your life that you know, drive your income or your relationships with your family and friends, that all of those are impacted, then mm -hmm. sure, you might become now an elite athlete. And you're not making any money. But you know? yeah, you can't sustain your lifestyle and your family is also, you know, never sees you anymore, right? Like, and that, that happens in the world of things like marathon training or ultra training or Ironman training, which is, are all things that I'm really familiar with. And Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think, though, that that's where the, I, I guess I don't want it bad enough comes up for me of when I was training for something on the day that I'm like, I just don't feel like doing it today uh, for whatever reason. Then I would do the, I guess you don't want to run that, that, ah. I guess you don't want to, I guess you don't actually want to finish that, that marathon or that race or whatever. And then I would get me back to why I started in the beginning. And there would be moments when I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't really want that right now. Or That's other times that I can I was, recommit. Then I was ready to do a triathlon, and I and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't keep going, and, it, and I convinced myself it's because I didn't want it. I, I like the emotion ones. Uh, we can only be rational and logical after we have been emotional. That's something that's very hard for me because when I'm in the middle of emotional reactions, I sometimes make these grand thoughts and ideas. And sometimes it's a happy emotion too. We, we tend to shy away from thinking if we're reactive and, and the emotion is elation and happiness and, uh, you know, joy. And then I, I try to spiral that outward or upward and make these big decisions on something based on how happy I am right then. And then all of a sudden it's not realistic or it's not feasible or, mm -hmm. but then it's like, 
if you're reacting poorly, if you're upset with somebody or upset with something, and then you decide not to do it because of that one emotion, you know, you're not thinking logically. So. Mm -hmm. That's almost the giving yourself time to actually really fully go through the range of emotions that come with different things that we think of or are triggering before we actually land on what are we going to do about this? Are we going to take action? Are we going to talk to somebody? Are we going to do something else? So talk I like about that. dovetails. We will we will get into the emotion discussion soon as well. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe can we finish this off? I I'm curious to know. Will you keep this book on your bookshelf to read again? I would yes? definitely read it again. Um, let's do an after action review real quick. What went well with this book? What didn't go well? And what did we learn? One quick thing, like what went well? What went well, even though our, our accountability times were delayed, partly because of me, I will not, we, mm-hmm. still, we still got it done. And, and I also think that both of us have come out with new habits. I think that that, that went well. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. me speaking for you now, but I think, I think I, I see that on both sides and I know we've compared notes on that. Yeah. To me, it went well because we got to do it paced. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't have liked it if we tried to do the whole book in one hour or one sitting because it's too much to take in. There might be other books that we could do that, but this one, the book itself is, it, I think it's an easy read, but it's not if you want to absorb it. It's one of those that you really should take your time with and and absorb and, and sink in. This isn't one of those that, you know, you listen to the review and then you say, oh, I think I should read this. This is, you know, us getting something out of it and talking through what it means to us in particular. And it's a different take than just a book report. And that's what I w- was hoping for. Don't judge book by the cover, right? This isn't just a book report. This is This is a deeper discussion about what this means to us as people and, and as accounting professionals and people that are in that, this profession, you know, how it relates to that. And I think we achieved that. It shows our evolution of thought process as we read this too. Um, what didn't go so well, probably things that we could do better. I think keeping things on track would be good, but what I love about this, and I've said this, I wanted to read more books and now I've figured out a way to do that, to actually create content that other people can enjoy and get something out of and listen to and whatever, you know, everybody's going to get something different out of this that's listening. So I think that's what I love about doing this is that I can share that. I've read a ton of books in my life and I just kind of, it stays isolated in my head. Sometimes it comes out in quotes or phrases that I do or actions, but it's not really like, you know, sharing how much I love it. I love to share things that I like. You know, whether it's music, movies, or books. You just made me think of the fact that maybe I'm being really cliche with what we were just talking about in the book, but like reading books maybe is, and even for myself, that it's kind of boring. It's like, okay, I read another book, like learned a couple more things, going to put it on the shelf or put it in a corner for maybe read again, maybe not ever look at it again, which is kind of boring, right? It's not challenging. Versus if we pull up the challenge a bit to being like on that cusp of abilities, it's like, all right, now you got to read the book, discuss it, have some key takeaways, apply it even to counting life, uh, that that makes it a little bit more challenging and then brings it out from boredom. So that's really interesting that you brought that up around, like, this isn't just an accountability piece, but I think it also pulls it to a spot of less boring or not boring. 
Accounting Life. That's a good name too. That's that's <laughs> after Accounting You. So the evolution uh, <laughs> of this podcast will be Accounting High, Accounting You, and then Accounting Life. Accounting Life. I like yeah. it. <laughs> Stay tuned. In eight years, in eight years, we'll get there. Uh, so yeah, and then the other thing is that I think that you know if I say what what also didn't go well uh, on top of what you said is that. Even though I learned these techniques, then when we traveled, I fell off. And so it was really showcasing to me of like how much more there is still to learn with habits and how to stick to the good habits because travel is normal. Busyness is normal. Uh, Day-to-day life that doesn't go as we have it planned is normal. And so how do we stick with the habits in light of all those things? I feel like I've still got some more ch- trial and error and and really intentional work to do to see if I can get some more consistency, especially when I travel. And not just when I travel, when I come back. And I was having some discussions with somebody else about this uh, around what I'm going to have as not just a travel routine where you sh- set up what do you do upon arrival at the place that you're staying, but also uh, what do you do when you get home? from travel that like regrounds you back into the rhythm and routine here. So that's something I'm paying attention to for the next next flight out and flight back. Yep. Yeah. I was actually you 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 brought this up already and you warned like uh you know, because I I talk about how I always fall off during travel. I, I kept up with my sleep habits for the most part. And that's because I was paying attention to it. That's like carried this around. I got some stains on this uh, journal. <laughs> I got some watermarks on it and stuff because uh, because I, I actually used it, but it did fall off. I didn't, I didn't even open it yesterday. There was like a day that I didn't open it and I went home. Well, this can even be like a recommitment moment for both of us. So let's get back on track because we know that we've got travels coming. You got travels coming sooner than I do. So um, mm. let's get regrounded. I, re- I referred to it the other day as I want to get back in control back in the driver's seat so that by the time I leave again, that I'm feeling like I'm grounded and, and in control. The control room. Yeah. Be careful with control though. Cause when you try to control too much, that will, that for me, that always, that always hits me in the wrong places. The OCD part and trying to control every little aspect of things always, um, kind of takes the, takes the essence of it away sometimes too. For me, it's the control of the structure of my schedule where I've got the time block to do these habits that I was giving up to other people who needed me when I got back. Mm. And so now it's like, okay, I dig it. You've, you've had me for, for a week. Uh, now it's time for me to take that time, back. that preserved time back. Yeah. Control your own instead of uh, controlling how you respond and everything else. You know, yeah. it's, it's being creative instead of reactive. Um, I like to use that too, because you could react to everything. It feels good, or you get some satisfaction out of reacting to something, but creating your time and creating your response, creating your schedule and controlling that, I think is the good way we should end on this, right? This is uh, March, our third hour on accounting, accounting (laughs) habits. We can call this accounting habits, right? (laughs) I suppose so. There's life habits in there though. Got any Thanks. other closing thoughts or are we good? No, this is a highly recommended book. I, I'll yeah. share that at the end. Is How many? Told oh, we're going to write this it. on untapped. So we're going to rank this on, on uh, <laughs> book on reviews. Unfiltered or book yeah. reviews. What do you rate out of uh, one out of five? Out of five scale? or out of 10? 
I guess five stars. Five. Know, everything is stars. I would actually probably give this four and a half. Four and a half. I, I could give it a five, but then it's going to open the door to me always giving things fives and <laughs> setting the bar. And yep. I, I kind of am trying to set the bar, though. So five, I'm going to give it a five. Yeah. Why okay. not? I'll stick with four and a half. So for our rankings now, I'm just setting the tone. Fives. Right. Fives if I like it and zeros if I don't. <laughs> and we'll see if you put it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Sounds All right, good. Thanks. Thanks, Scott.